Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good, live from Iowa Catholic Radio's Mercy Live Up Studios. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. Hello, Bud. Hello. There you are. Who are you? Uh, Bud Marr. You didn't hear me the first time? We did not. Oh. So you better say it again in case folks don't know. This is Dr. Bud Marr. Dr. Bud Marr. We are coming to you live from various points in the United States of America. I'm here in Des Moines with the Mercy Live Up Studios here at Iowa Catholic Radio, uh, where I am the uh, director of the Zeta Institute for Foundation and Ethics and Leadership and the director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences. You can find us at ZetaInstitute.com and MCHS.edu. Bud, where are you at? I'm director here at the uh, National Institute for Newman Studies. You can go to newmanstudies.org. So, Bud... I hear something happened yesterday. <laughs> how did uh, how did how did uh, Pittsburgh? Um, do you guys have like a big table with the different people, and whoever has the most French fries, like on their plate by the end, they win. That's pretty much how it goes. And no, they have I, to they... eat the French fries, <laughs> and if they can't finish the plate, then they're disqualified. And uh. In debates, the first question is always like, "What are your thoughts about potatoes? <laughs> and the proper use of potatoes?" Yeah. By the way, I tried to use uh, the the term, the Pittsburgh term, "yints," which is like "y'all," right? And uh, I think I confused one of your friends on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hear it said different ways, like "yuns" or "yins." People say "yinsburg," but if you grew up in um. In Pittsburgh, it's it's usually a pretty good register. Okay, well, I I honest I I evidently don't know um, how to do that. We just stick with y'all and try to throw as many things together and make it as short as possible. We're an efficient people down in Oklahoma, bud. Well, that's good. Yeah. So you guys do use y'all in Oklahoma because Oklahoma. Is, I don't I don't know. It's it's south it's southern, but it's not really like the southeast. I feel like it's a different culture. What's funny is uh I didn't think I had a southern accent at all, and I moved ninety miles north into Kansas uh finished high school, and everybody was like they acted like I was on the Dukes of Hazard or something like this. It was pretty funny um but i did have you have you ever had this is maybe we're the first ver- uh, generation to you know really get to do this bud but one yep. time we were rifling through old things and they found a a VHS tape of me, and I really did sound extremely southern. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh wow, I, you know, I, it really has mostly disappeared." But like nine-year-old me, I think um, I was in the Jungle Book, and I was playing Bagheera, and it was like Will- Waylon Jennings playing Bagheera. So that was an <laughs> interesting interpretation. Well, you know, I think I, I like to think that I don't have an accent. You know, with the national news stations, mm-hmm. they'll they'll sometimes hire anchors from the Midwest because we're like the most muted accent. Right. But when we lived in um, North Carolina, some people would ask if I was Minnesotan. Really? So I must have, yeah, I must have enough of in a boat or something to. But you don't say bags for bags. I've never no, heard, I I've really... never heard you throw the a that way. You know, my dad. My dad will say things like "crick" for creek, yeah, or he'll say like uh, "wash," like time to wash the laundry. I've heard that too, yeah. But his, uh, like, his grandfather actually farmed in Minnesota, so uh. you know, I feel like there's a more direct connection there. But yeah, some people would ask me if I was from the north when I was down in North Carolina. They just, they just know you're Norwegian, and you, you ain't from these here parts. 
Well, when I asked for unsweetened tea, that was... <laughs> They're like, get it. out of here! You <laughs> get out! Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, well, um, if you need to, perhaps print off all these regional variations so that when you go to North Carolina or Pittsburgh, you say the right things and sound the right way, you can use Cartridge World, who underwrites our show, to have the ink to print off all these regional variations. 801 73rd Street, Windsor Heights, Iowa. Did... Kansas win last night in basketball. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, that's we, we need to get Joe on to see what he thinks about the prospects this year. Yeah, they were up in the second half. So I, I mean, the folks at Cartridge World are always super friendly, but you might get extra friendly service if you stop by this week. <laughs> um, also underwritten by Mercy College of Health Sciences. Um, we're uh, getting closer to uh, the, the holidays. And I know people think about, like, oh, i got to get my turkey ready. i got to figure out what I'm going to do for Advent and Christmas. But for students, that means the rubber is really hitting the road, and we're getting into uh, sort of the meat of the season. Ha, 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 turkey. Sorry, I was making a bad joke. Um, but, of course, what that means is if you'd like to start in spring, right now is the time to start. You can start all year round. We go all three semesters at Mercy College, mchs.edu. Uh, not only nursing BSNs, but all sorts of things we do through the Allied Health uh, uh, initiatives as well. Well, Mercy has that like uh, flexible approach to semesters and helping students get done, um, sort of like at different rates. But you, you're doing like an eight week course, so is it is it compressed with like longer meeting times? Uh, no, uh, it's that you meet in person and online, and uh, it is intense. Uh, that's yeah. one. If you want to, if you have previous BA experience, I think you have to have it either done or mostly done. You can do an accelerated BSN, which means after a summer, two semesters, and one more summer, you will be a nurse. Uh, those people have my admiration. They also uh, scare me a little that like they're able to pull that off. That means they're very determined A-type people, and uh, it, it's almost a, a thing to behold them you know, getting through the semester. <laughs> yeah, I extended my, my education about as long as a human possibly can. That's and right. You're going to take wife it was... easily. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, today, bud, it's going to be you and I. And we're going to talk about um, marching orders for politics. I think it's interesting, and I will talk about this more, that we waited until after an election to talk about this. But I think it's very important for Christians to understand that elections are not the culmination of what we do politically, uh, but sort of the start. And now the real work starts. So this is The Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Stick around. After these messages, we'll be back with more of The Uncommon Good. There's the eagle. Uh, if you want to comment, and uh, <laughs> Jeb is already, uh, uh, he, you know, I, we, have we talked about this on air about Jeb leaving and, you know, we don't know quite what to do? We haven't talked about it on air. I don't yeah, think. I think we need to process it. I don't know who we're going to blame things on, and we'll have to, maybe we need to hear people decide uh, who we should blame stuff on since Jeb's gone, and they can tell us who can be replacing Jeb as the whipping boy at the zip whip line. 515-223-1150, 515-223-1150. We know that Jeb's replacement, he's going to do a fine job. Do you want to say anything on air real quick? I can. I wasn't ready, but... You know. Yeah, I know. That's you got to get used to this because we're, <laughs> we're unprofessional here. But we, we know you're going to do a good job. Well, but thank I, you. We need someone to be the new whipping boy, and they can tell us who at 515-223-1150, the zip whip line. I say we still just keep blaming Jeb. All right, it's settled. I'm fine with that. Yeah, <laughs> this is the uncommon good. We'll be back after this.
Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years' experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Carbaca, Dr. Christine Mulcahy, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. To be the best at something, you have to stay focused on what you do best every day. At Golden Rule Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, we are your residential experts. Frankly, if we spent all of our time on new construction projects, we wouldn't be as skilled or available to work on your home projects. But we are ready for you, and we know residential plumbing, heating, and cooling. I'm Bobby from Golden Rule, where we deliver respect, understanding, loyalty, expertise, and service every time you call. We have a standard, and we prove it. Online at GoldenRulePHC.com. Support for The Uncommon Good is provided by Cartridge World. Cartridge World is an industry leader delivering high-performance printing products that help you save time, money, and print great. Perfect for businesses, home offices, college students, or busy moms trying to find affordable printing supplies including ink, toner, paper, or printers. For business customers, pickup and delivery are available. Products are guaranteed or full replacement. Cartridge World, your low-cost, environmentally friendly printing experts. 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, 515-564-7400 and online at cartridgeworld.com. Why give to the Catholic Tuition Organization? To help families who want to send their kids to our Catholic schools and just can't afford it. Some donors like to give part or all of their required minimum distribution from their retirement account. The 65% Iowa tax credit you receive are a tax benefit you just don't want to pass up. Ask your tax advisor or contact us online, ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. We're back with the Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. I just want to uh, rectify one thing. I said we have someone new behind the boards. I didn't say his name. Jimmy Olson. Jimmy, thank you uh, for replacing Jeb. Uh, we make fun of him, but he has a special place in our heart. Uh, so thank you for doing the monumental task of being the new Jeb in all things but whipping boyism. So thank you, Jimmy. Uh, Bud, yep. we got a, a text. I don't Ooh. know from who. It's unnamed, so maybe it's your mom. But it says hashtag UCNG, so that's us, Uncommon Good. Yeah, exclamation mark, my favorite, a Bud and Bo only show, thumbs up. So that's basically uh, shots fired at all of our guests. They need to step up their game, evidently, because <laughs> people like it when it's just you and me. I don't know. What do you think about that? <laughs> oh, man. I feel like we've had an all-star roster of guests in 2018, but yeah, no, it's it's probably not a slide to our guests, just... um like you said, either my mom or one of my daughters. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that, that would be pretty great if, like, our our kids get on, like, oh, my dad's the best, and then everyone finds out that we're paying for this, and, like, we yeah. get kicked off. I'm imagining things that I don't need to imagine, bud. Like, what's my problem? So, at any rate, it is a Bo and Bud show. That's what we're going to do today. Um, the reason, I think, uh, is not for uh, lack of uh, trying. We always love making sure to have our guests on. We appreciate you guests. It's just maybe this one person. No, I'm kidding. Um, the reason that we're going to talk about this today is you and I were going to talk about um, what we're calling the the church politics marching order. And one of the things that might be weird, I think, is people go, Bo, we just had an election. 
why wouldn't you talk about all these things before the election, right? Aren't you going to tell us the things that are important, the type of people that we're supposed to vote for? I want to throw out that um, whether you think uh, your party or your interest won out yesterday, whether you thought they lost, that voting, if anything, is never the culmination or end of the political process. It's at least the start, and we don't get to be, uh, to write off our sort of, um, putting our money uh, where our mouth is, uh, rubber hitting the road, feet on the ground. That's not done solely in the act of voting. If we're going to be the kingdom of God for people, if we're going to show that we believe in the social kingship of Jesus Christ, um, that is a daily thing. And it's something that no matter who won, uh, we have to reinvest our time and think very boldly and specifically about what that entails. So it's important, right, that even when um, the people of Israel were put into exile in Babylon, um, Jeremiah said they were to pray for the city, um, pay their taxes, Paul says, even though uh, this is approaching the end times. Um, Of course, whoever wins, uh, we try to be um, faithful, not cause sedition, not try to um, up uh, up in the order for no good reason at all. Um, But what we have is a, a mandate, I think, to say that whenever possible, we are to be Jesus Christ, his body um, for the world. And we do that not just through voting. In fact, I would say even not primarily through voting, but what we do afterwards. And I'll even say something, uh, maybe even a more <clears throat> people would disagree with me, but um, I think this is even more incumbent on Christians when they elect someone they think who is in their corner. Um, you look in the Bible and when you have someone like Nebuchadnezzar, for instance, a lot of what you see is the, the, the people of God trying to navigate about how they can do the small things well. And they're willing to die and they're willing to be martyred or thrown into the fiery furnace. Um, but you really see them going to great lengths to try to figure out how can we make uh, this situation um, offered to God as much as possible. When we get Christian leaders, or in the Old Testament, when we actually get you know, Israelite kings... Man, that's when the prophets really step up and say, you said you were going to act this way, now do it. So either way, if you feel like your position uh, or your person was defeated, um, there's hope to be had because politics starts with you locally and what you're going to do, and we'll talk about that today. Um, But especially if you think you've won, um, this is precisely the time to tell our leaders um, that we expect a lot from them, and if they're going to court the Christian vote, um, that means that we're going to make demands of them. And uh, so there's nothing finished about today. The day after elections, so to speak, is uh, exactly the time to get started. Yeah, Bo, I'm glad you brought it back to sacred scripture. And, I, you know, the point that I heard, a kind of thread running through your last comment, was uh, the Bible depicts the people of God navigating different realities. You know, when I, when I teach scripture in class, I tell my students, like, if you were going to imagine pre-knowing anything about the Bible, like a kind of revelation that God would give, I think we think of something very, like, simplistic with just a list of do's and don'ts, but very straightforward. And, and Scripture is this very, like, complex, beautiful, like, textured whole. And what you see in there is that the, the, the faithfulness of God's people doesn't rest precisely on being in a certain place at a certain time. But like you said... It's, a, it's those occasions where um, maybe, I don't know, to, for lack of a better phrase, like uh, the people of God have more access to power. Like that's when we, uh, we need to have a certain kind of wariness or temperance and, and how we think about uh, how, we, how we go about using that. Yeah, so I think about 
Um, how do how are we going to talk about that today, and how are we going to elucidate that? Mm-hmm. So I got I got two things in mind. One is sort of a list that people can keep in mind, um, but then another is uh, explaining what that might entail. Um, so I turn to the first uh, political conglomeration that the church ever had, the first twelve princes of the church. Um, I think of the twelve apostles. And how uh, when we look to their lives and how they interacted, that we see both, you know, human frailty, human um, striving, but also uh, the best of humanity and how um, they loved one another. And eventually, you know, after uh, Pentecost, they really did uh, do miraculous things and and in love with one uh, with another. Uh, They really did uh, act as a community uh, that really is the kingdom of God in breaking uh, into our reality. So. I have in mind twelve things that I want to bring up, yeah. um, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna submit each one of them to uh, the prayers of one of the apostles each time. And for me, it's just uh, this is the, as good of math as I can pull off, bud. If you divide twelve by four, you get three. And there's three sets of four things that the church teaches. This is like catechism type level groups of four that I think if we keep these things in mind. Uh, that will do a better job being the church, so to speak, on the ground uh, and and living the quote-unquote church politics that Jesus has for us. And so the the first four that I'd like to explore and say that it's important that we contemplate if we're going to live politically well as Christians is the four last things, actually. Death, judgment, hell, and heaven. Whatever else politics is, um, and... Like we've said before many times on this, politics just comes from polis. It means the city. So the activities we do in a communal city, whether that's the city of God in heaven or the city that we live in um, on earth here, um, we have to do politics with the last things in mind. These are not just simply sort of temporal things we need to check off our list and then keep going. We must keep in mind that everyone dies, that we all face an individual judgment, that there is hell to pay um, for... Uh, lacking in love, and then there is heaven uh, for a reward for people who do the will of God. So that's what we have to keep before us. The next great group of four is, uh, in ancient terms, called the the sins that cry to heaven for vengeance. These are uh, four sins traced back um, to the Old Testament, particularly um, Genesis, but kind of in Deuteronomy as well. These are the four things that God himself said that he would intervene uh, on behalf of the people uh, who have them, on behalf of the victims of these four sins. So the one is the blood of Abel, right? So homicide, infanticide, fratricide, patricide, and matricide. Um, the sin of the people of Sodom that has to do with uh, sexuality and deviancy and of, of things of this and not just like the sort of individual uh, sexual behaviors, but you think of things like um, human trafficking and how bad of a, of a phenomenon that's becoming. Uh, number three is the cry of people oppressed in Egypt. So the cry of the foreigner, the widow, and the orphan, slavery and marginalization. And then finally, injustice to the wage earner. They take this mostly from Deuteronomy. So taking advantage and defrauding workers. So if we have to keep the four last things in mind, uh, what we must avoid and work on avoiding daily are the four sins that cry out uh, to heaven for vengeance. And we're going to do that by utilizing the four cardinal virtues, and that's prudence, justice, temperance, and courage. And so today on the show, I was hoping, Bud, that maybe we could just go through all 12, um, ask uh, an apostle to to pray for us, and then talk about maybe how it is that on the ground we can live uh, differently 
um, if we follow this uh, list of 12 marching orders, as it were. So what do you think? Too tall of an order, or uh, did I just ruin the show and we need to wrap up early? <laughs> That's a tall order, but I trust you to, to, to figure this out and carry the torch. That sounds like you're... Uh, <laughs> You're letting me do... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Are you abdicating your role in this I'm show? I'm putting the ball in your court. No. <laughs> I'll jump in where necessary. So, on, first of all, we ask uh, St. Peter and First Among the Apostles to pray for the fact that all of us must keep death before us. Um, now, this one seems pretty easy because we literally had a show on it just a few weeks ago, right? That's right. So, um, when we think about what it means to the memento mori, right, to have mm-hmm. death before our eyes... Um, constantly, we were talking about that uh, with uh, Sister um, Teresa, uh, who uh, has the book, uh, Remember Your Death, uh, just to promote it one more time. Um, and it's one thing to say, okay, individually, we're going to live different <coughs> if we remember that we die. And then also that, like, in death, we, you know, we, we join the communion um, of the dead. And we were thinking about that in terms of uh, the All Souls Day. Um, but when it comes to living politically different to live as if you're going to die i don't know but sometimes i think that's exactly some of the problems is when people think about their political activity in a city they act like either they're going to be here forever or that when they die they go away and they'll never have to deal uh with uh the consequences of what they do um i don't know if i'm i'm expecting like people when they're on the campaign trail to like hold a skull and like say the the soliloquy of in hamlet um, but I do think that like you can just go by the shows and act like people don't think at some point all of this is going to end for them. Yeah, what's paradoxical about Christianity, I think, is that we have the most to offer when we have our minds um, totally set on heavenly things. And that's kind of odd because, you know, growing up Baptist, but I don't know if you ever heard the phrase, like, I'd have Sunday school teachers tell me, like, we don't want our, our minds so set on heaven that we're of no earthly good. And the idea is, like, there's still important work to be done that's in front of you. But I think um, in our current context, like, especially politically, that the, the Christian vision of the world is seen as sort of impractical or useless because we're set on, you know, like, something that's, that's beyond the present circumstances. But if we, if we keep, like you said, um, our, our death in view, but also, like, an eschatological or, like, a vision of the end of all things, I think it it gives us like um a, a real joy as we go about our business and a sense that that God is ultimately in control and so it gives us uh we we could talk about a lot, a lot of different areas but it, it allows us not to become too attached to things but also to order those realities in line with with kingdom values kingdom values I like to throw it in stuff right there that's good Well every time we pray the Lord's prayer you know our Father who art in heaven we say thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So uh, our hope for this world is that it could mirror the realities of heaven. And yet we, al- we also keep this kind of tension. Like I know from Div School, we'd throw out this phrase already, not yet. And so we don't pretend like we can produce this kind of order on the basis of our own strength or, or um, intelligence, but that it's precisely something that God will have to accomplish. No, you're right. And like keeping in mind that we too will join the 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 biggest uh, group of a uh, 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 political group, the the dead. Um, we'll keep that in mind. Um, the second of the four last things <clears throat> of this list of twelve we're going through, um, we offer into the hands of Saint Andrew uh, to pray for us. 
um, is the fact that we will all be judged. So we will all die, and then we will all individually face a judgment for what we have done. And I don't know, this seems to have huge political ramifications, um, because I think some people act like they're not going to have to ever answer for um, the things that they do. Um, I don't think you need to be uh, a strict environmentalist, uh, for instance, to say that there are some people who treat the earth as if when they die, they get to, like, you know, get an escape parachute from this rock, and it doesn't matter what they leave behind. I don't think it takes, um, like I said, any sort of uh, joining any sort of radical understanding of any of these things to just basically be a Boy Scout about stuff, right? Like, leave uh, leave wherever yep. you're at better than you found it. Um, that seems to me something I... The Boy Scouts, at least when I was growing up, didn't make a big deal about this, but that seems to be something that has in mind that one of the four last things that's so important, that we will be judged, um, we'll be forgiven, uh, God is merciful, but we will have to face an account of what we've done and if it if it doesn't motivate you enough to say I might act different politically because of the fact that I will die someday, um, I'm just worried about like how I mean I, the embarrassing parts is what I'm worrying about. And I was like, oh man, we really have to go through, you know, when I was 13 through 17. So, but you know, we're all gonna have to live. We're gonna have to go take our lumps, bud. But if we keep judgment in mind, maybe we'll stop embarrassing ourselves so bad. No, sometimes it's in conversations with students that these ideas become very visceral or, or real for me and um uh we we were talking this semester about um arguments that thomas aquinas used to show like faith in god is is reasonable mm-hmm. and uh one of the students raised and i think it was coming from a very authentic place that like isn't atheism more courageous and in his mind the idea was like um atheism sort of faces this this dark universe and it doesn't appeal to what he was viewing as kind of like a reality that wasn't tangible. Like, oh, you guys talk about the afterlife, but really, again, what's in front of us is just like this very hard-nosed kind of like dealing with the realities of this world that we can sort of touch and feel. And uh, what I kind of pushed back with is like, if you think about um, what the Church teaches us about judgment, like every moment of our lives is just um, coursing with with meaning and, and a real responsibility. You know, to think about... Um, our everyday relations, uh, even like how we how we spend quote unquote free time, you know, if those uh, well, one day we'll have to give an account of those. You know, I don't know. I've heard stories about um, um, soldiers in Nazi concentration camps who said they could do some of what they did because they didn't feel like they were ever going to have to answer for that. And for Christians, that idea is uh, really flipped on its head. No, I agree. And, and you know, speaking of being hardcore and, and heavy metal, I think of uh, the third last thing, hell, and we pray for St. James uh, to to for us to keep hell before us so that we might avoid it. Um, I, I kind of always laugh at that one where they're like, you you Christians and your your yeah. silly comforting ideas. And I go, yeah, there's a branch of Christianity, I guess, that like acts like it's comforting. But hell, uh, to paraphrase one of my favorite country singers, uh, Tyler Childers, is as real as you and I are surely breathing. <laughs> and um, the idea that God will not enact just- justice at the end of time. Um, I- I'm going to mess up his name. Uh, it's uh, Milos, the Polish... Polish poet Milos, and I'm going to messing up his name. Um, but he had a, a point where he said, people say that religion is the opiate of the masses, but yeah. actually 
death being final is what he calls the opiate of tyrants. The fact that tyrants do what they do to people and then die thinking that, well, I'll never have to pay for it. That's exactly the sort of thing that a bunch of privileged people running around um, being jerks to everyone else uh, comfort themselves. They comfort themselves off the idea that all of this won't be rectified. But God promises that it will be rectified. It can be rectified through mercy. It can be rectified through purgatory. But you'll pay for what you've done, and hell is real. And how many people live politically as if hell is real? Yeah, Bo, I think this is one we have to keep talking about. And you and I have both met um, very well-meaning Christians, and even those who have studied church history very closely. And um, there is sentiments going around that... um, you know, perhaps all will be saved, or that this doctrine is somehow outmoded or needs to be nuanced. But I just really think, besides the clear teaching of Scripture and the Church Fathers, um, this accords with, like you said, uh, our experience of the world. And so you think about any sort of loving relationship, and as humans, we we so often turn away from um, opening ourselves in love to our spouse or our children, and that can become a kind of personal hell and so if you think about um coming to know and love god i just think uh, i just think if you look at the actual experience of humanity and the history of human experience um we can clearly point to cases we know in our own lives that that possibility but cases where uh you say human beings have a propensity or the very real possibility of rejecting god's love and um i think hell is the proper name for that so i know i'm kind of I'm kind of stumbling to the finish line there, but I think it, it's an important truth, and it does give us uh, a certain sobriety when we think about our um, our duty in the face of injustice. And I actually think, too, that it, yeah, one more time, yeah. just like we were talking about, that it's like young people who are really impressed by the nun who has the skull on their desk. Yeah. I actually think there's plenty of young people that um, hell is not something we should dev- avoid in evangelizing them. Because I look at the young and I see such a thirst for justice. They look out in the world and they go, it's not fair uh, that, like, you know, people are starving in Yemen or that, like, people have to deal with the effects of all of this bad stuff. And I think they want a God who says, I won't let this go unquestioned. And so uh, I think maybe we should all, us older folks, should be more comfortable talking about precisely that. Well, bud, we're going to end there because we're coming up to the hard break. We'll do the last of the last things, which is heaven, and I think that will be a good bridge into the rest of the discussion. This is The Uncommon Good. We'll be back after this. We went a little long with the segment, so just to uh, point out to everyone, you can, of course, go uh, join all our social media accounts, IO Catholic Radio on Facebook, at IA Catholic Radio on Twitter. And just a reminder that our dinner in December, Friday, December 7th, 2018, Embassy Suites, um, 6.30 for the cocktail hour, the dinner's at 7.15, and 8 p.m. our keynote speaker, Dr. Ray Garindi of EWTN's The Doctor Is In. If you go to iowacatholicradio.com slash events, you can sign up there or call 515-223-1150. This is The Uncommon Good. We'll be back after this. Why give to the Catholic Tuition Organization? To help families who want to send their kids to our Catholic schools and just can't afford it. Some donors like to give part or all of their required minimum distribution from their retirement account. The 65% Iowa tax credit you receive are a tax benefit you just don't want to pass up. Ask your tax advisor or contact us online, ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. 
Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. Every year, Blessman International leads teams of Central Islands on 12-day, all-inclusive experiences filled with life-changing personal interaction with the beautiful African children that we serve. Teams are forming now for 2019. Space is limited, so make a decision today to use your time to do something significant in the life of an African child. Learn more and apply for a trip today at www.blessmaninternational.org. Support for The Uncommon Good is provided by Cartridge World. Cartridge World is an industry leader delivering high-performance printing products that help you save time, money, and print great. Perfect for businesses, home offices, college students, or busy moms trying to find affordable printing supplies including ink, toner, paper, or printers. For business customers, pickup and delivery are available. Products are guaranteed or full replacement. Cartridge World, your low-cost, environmentally friendly printing experts, 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, 515-564-7400 and online at cartridgeworld.com. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr. Back at ya. So we're talking today about uh, what we're calling the marching orders for Christian politics, which, as I said, you would maybe expect us to, I don't know, do the day before uh, or the week before or even a month before elections. But I want to make the special plea that actually our political engagement as Christians, um, voting is just one thing we really start and have to make a recommitment to it every day. So no matter if you thought your candidates won or your candidates lost, if it was a good day or a bad day yesterday, um, what we have today before us is how we're going to live in this world as Christians. And so uh, I turn, um, first of all, we always have to turn in prayer. We t- uh, turn to the 12 apostles, the original princes of the church, asking them for our prayers. And since there's 12 of them, I thought, hey, what better way than to look for 12 steps, so to speak, or 12 ideas to keep in mind as we engage the world politically. So to make four, we have three lists of four, the classical uh, sort of uh, four that you'll find in the old catechisms. So the four last things, uh, death, judgment, hell, and heaven, uh, the four sins uh, that cry out to heaven, the blood of Abel, the sin of the city of Sodom, the cry of the people oppressed in Egypt, uh, and uh, justice to wage earners, and we do this with the four cardinal virtues, prudence, justice, temperance, courage. Um, we got through the first three of the last things, bud, and so we very fittingly start with the last, last thing, which is heaven. Heaven, of course, being the goal um, for everything else that we do, and so we ask uh, St. John uh, that we may, uh, that he may help us guide our paths going to heaven. So, bud, heaven, of course, is a city, the city of the saints, um, the, civi- the civitas, the, the civic union that we want to be in where Jesus Christ is king, but as Thomas Aquinas says, in another way, we're all kings because we all share the same will as Christ the king. And in that perfect unity, um, which is a political reality, but it's also a familial one, a nuptial one, all of, all of the imagery that uh, comes together. And we have to say, right, that what we're about here on earth is uh, letting this kingdom in break to conquer the current world and win it back from the dominion of the devil. That's what we think what happens with baptism. That's why uh, 
surly ancestors like mine, uh, even the Normans, right, who became, you know, they were barbarous uh, Vikings and became, uh, you know, Christians uh, under the social kingship of Jesus Christ. It's open to all, and if we keep that as our final uh, end, um, and not just maybe like scoring points here and the uh, there at the uh, in the temporal order, we might begin to change how we understand politics and political involvement. Well, I don't want to sound like oh, you know, um, professorish who like I'm, I'm correcting these misguided ideas. I'm saying this as a challenge to myself. I do think in this area of our thought, though, that sometimes we can um, we can import maybe more like for lack of. Uh, more like a platonic understanding of heaven. And what I mean by that is like a completely spiritualized experience. But again, going back to Scripture, you see um, so many images there are about eating and drinking, and like you said, the city of the saints. And so I guess what I'm pressing is like not to divorce our ultimate end from from what we know and experience today. And I think when we when we gather around a table, when we invite you know the outcasts and the marginalized to to join us. Um, certainly the Eucharist as the preeminent expression of that. We're already taking the gifts that God has given us, and we're um, directing them towards heaven. And so, so all of life, um, our finances, the food that we grow and eat, our friendships, those are foretastes of heaven, and it's actually how God prepares us for heaven. And so that's why on this show we press so often, you know, like you've been saying, like the vo- voting can be the start of a process, but the communal organizing of our lives is really um, how we witness to what we hold most dear and and what we think most valuable. I think you're exactly right. So we we think about what we must keep before us when we engage politically, death, judgment, hell, and heaven. Now we turn to what we must avoid, what we must actively work against. And these are the four sins that cry to heaven for vengeance. Um, like I said, traditionally, these come from uh, the Old Testament, uh, particularly Genesis, uh, but elsewhere as well. This is in the Catechism, so paragraph 1867. The catechetical tr- tradition also recalls that there are sins that cry to heaven. The blood of Abel, the sin of the Sodomites, the cry of the people oppressed in Egypt, the cry of the foreigner, the widow, and the orphan, and injustice to the wage earner. And the idea that this comes from is, of course, there's uh, different uh, uh, Bible verses that talk specifically about what's going on here. Um, let me see. I'm sorry. I, I, I had them, and now they look like they've disappeared. Um, but when you think about the first one, right, so the blood of Abel, and we ask for St. Philip to help us from running afoul of this first sin, the blood of Abel. Um, you remember, yes, it's Genesis 4.10 when the Lord says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So literally, the ground is sort of soaked up with the voice of the victim uh, that re- that asks God to do something about um, what is going on. Now, the idea here, right, is it's not only willful murder. It's any sort of unjust taking of anybody's life. And, of course, you know, if, if there's a political policy, hopefully we should all be able to go around as everybody across the aisle is against, you know, murder. <laughs> uh, like, you know, killing someone over a pack of cigarettes or whatever. Um, but obviously we have a lot to point out that there are plenty of people who think, for instance that it's uh, morally uh, licit to kill children, uh, to euthanize um, older people or people who are frail. Um, there's so much in this, and I think often we, you know, we do a good job of, of pointing out what we mean by being pro-life. Um, but we also have to keep in mind anything that um, leads people to thinking that this is the only way forward and we must do whatever we can 
um, to when we have mercy on the sinner, that doesn't mean to like forget what they did or overlook it, uh, but but ask what can we do to make a more peaceable society um, where uh, the blood of Abel is shed uh, less and less time so it has fewer opportunities to cry out for vengeance. Well, there's a lot of things we could talk about with this one, Bo. Certainly the church's pro-life efforts come to mind. For myself, uh, my, my thoughts really turn to physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia and the way that's really gained momentum in Western cultures. Um, once you lose, like, a Christian understanding of the human person, I think it's really difficult for um, our citizens to articulate why we would care for those who are very sick and, and, and dying, and even to, to flip it and think it would be compassionate to end their lives early. And I would really encourage our listeners, when you think about um, political action, I think we really need to tell stories of caring for our loved ones during their last days. I, you know, talking to students, I know um, like one, one factor that's played a big role in helping to normalize those ideas are stories like those of, of like Brittany Maynard, who present euthanasia or PAS as, uh, as compassionate. And so like the flip side of that, um, I've, I've known many family members and loved ones who, um, during, uh, in caring for those who are terminally ill, they grew closer to God, they experienced a stronger connection to their loved one, and uh, it really maybe played a very important role in their journey towards God. And so we have to be um, proactive about telling those stories. Agreed. The second uh, sin that cries out to heaven for vengeance, we uh, pray uh, St. Judas Thaddeus uh, to protect us from running afoul of this sin as well. Um, classically called the sin of the Sodomite for the people of Sodom. Um, I, I know very clearly that this word has been associated with all sorts of uh, connotations um, that can sound like it's just derogatory. So I want to make very particularly clear, right, that where this derives from is the sin of the inhabitants of the city, Sodom. Uh, and what happens in Genesis 18.20, Genesis 19.13, may be best said by St. Jude uh, in his uh, letter, actually. Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion, and they served as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. It's obvious, uh, and I, I think that nothing we should be ashamed to say, that we have an understanding of what life, uh, uh, sexuality that is open to the gift of life looks like. Um, you know, uh, my wife's currently pregnant. You have a mess of kids. Uh, we obviously have this idea about what that means. Um, I know it can cause a lot of uh, um, heartache to maybe be out of uh, step with the spirit of the age, especially in terms of uh, the sexual revolution. But I, I want to point out that it is in no way just sort of like pinpointing one sexual sin above yeah. others. Um, I know that people uh, think that what the Catholic Church does is particularly harp um, on people with same-sex attraction. But clearly what this has in mind, and you look at the people of Sodom, I mean, the first off, the problem with the people of Sodom is they tried to rape people, violently sexually uh, violate people. Um, that's number one on the list that like we see in these catechisms what people are talking about when they talk about um, this particular sin that cries for vengeance. Um, not only other sexual deviancy, but ideas of um, creating a world where it's difficult, for instance, for young people uh, to understand uh, the beauty and glory of, uh, of sexuality as God intended it, um, all the way down to something like uh, human trafficking, which is a growing um, horrible thing that is that's happening everywhere, basically where two interstates meet all throughout the Midwest. This is not just a problem in huge metropolitans like Chicago. And so it's important to keep in mind, right, that this is not nitpicking about what people do in private, 
but that exactly this idea, this gift of life God has given us through sexuality to create um, more people in a robust city and love and affection between each other um, is not only being used, but even through things like uh, uh, pornography and, the, and, and, and objectification of women in media has become something that's very toxic and has horrible effects um, that we can't just act like um, liberty demands that we let it go unchecked. Well, Bo, yeah, when these topics come up, I really like to emphasize the positive vision of the Church in this regard. You know, as you were kind of intimating, when, when, when these topics come up, sometimes what we have to say can only be interpreted as animosity towards groups or to, towards persons. And I really think that's just simply not the case. Um, you know, I think what God desires for our lives is for us to know true freedom, like in the best sense of the term. And I don't know about you, Bo, I mean, um, not to get too nitty-gritty, but just living in this culture, like, I'm grateful that God brought me to the point where, like, I stayed um, sacramentally grounded. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Mortal sin can kill grace within you, and I just feel for so many of our young people and technology and things like that, that it, it really is, it can be a real struggle, and some say, well, the Church talks about this too much. I think it's because it, it just becomes a real problem, but what God wants for us is freedom, and uh, that, that's the gift and the blessing that comes with um, cooperating with grace in an area of life that can be a real struggle for many people. So the, that was the second uh, sin that cries out to heaven. The third is the cry of the people oppressed in Egypt. And this is the entire Exodus story, and that's precisely what catech- the catechism points to. Um, uh, you, you see this in even um, the Jewish liturgy for uh, the Passover that you were to remember that you were slaves, right? And then you hear this in the Declaration of the Law in the Old Testament. You were a people with no land. You were a people oppressed, and God liberated you. He took you out of the hands of the captors, and he brought you to a new place. And so when you have people go through your land, you will not treat them like the Egyptians treated you. Um, You will offer them the benefits of what it means to live in a land of milk and honey set aside for a holy purpose. And the church has said the same. We must always remember that we come from the Jewish people, slaves liberated from the hands of the tyrannical Egyptians. We must remember that all of us were slaves to sin, if not that Jesus Christ came and died and was raised for us, and through baptism has liberated us from the tyrannical grasp of sin. The ramifications for this is not some sort of practical policy. I can't act like what you need to say or what this means is, you know, vote this way, follow these policies. I can't solve modern problems that I myself don't know all the implications for and am willing to admit that uh, I don't have some sort of trick that will solve all border issues across the world. However, I can say that anything that we look back and we start sounding or looking like the Egyptians towards the Israelites, we know we're wrong. And when we think about God's preferential option to the poor, that doesn't mean that anything goes um, or that like we have no restrictions or that there's no matter of prudence about um, conserving resources that we have. But if you're asking, yes, God has a preference for the weak. He has it for widows. He has it for orphans. He has it for people who have been um, bogged down and hurt uh, and people who are refugees and seeking asylum. Again, I'm not acting like I know any sort of specifics about the policy. That would seem to be Bo's opinion, and that's not what this show's about. Arguments for another time. But certainly we have to live thinking about that. And we ask St. Bartholomew uh, to pray for us uh, that we keep in mind 
where our people, our spiritual uh, older brothers came from, the Jews, and where we came from uh, when dealing with people similarly bogged down um, with oppression. Bo, you know, uh, my my own um, research is on uh, the theology of Blessed John Henry Newman, and on this point he can sound like kind of a killjoy, but he he sometimes counseled those who came to him not to read novels, which I don't think he was opposed in principle because he wrote two novels, but he would say one um, danger with the novel is that it can produce like a set of emotions in you, but you actually don't move to action, and so you can feel this kind of catharsis or compassion and think that you've been faithful because you have the feeling, you know? Mm, yeah. And when you, when you bring up, like, policy disagreements, those arguments can be important to have. But I think we have to be careful that we are, we're always bridging, like, our active life with the arguments that we're having. And the great thing about being Catholic is we do have um, concrete institutions that care for refugees and for immigrants. I know in Des Moines there's some important work being done. And so, I mean, one, one challenge in my own life is how do I... You know, hospitality is such a central part of the Christian faith, and am I living that out concretely or just arguing about it? Yeah, and uh, the similar one with the fourth sin that cries out to heaven that we ask um, St. Thomas uh, to uh, guide us that we don't run afoul of is injustice to the wage earner. The Catechism cites two sources from um, Scripture, so Deuteronomy twenty four fourteen through 50, do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Uh, but then they also do talk about the letter, uh, quote, the letter of St. James 5, 4, behold, the pay of laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord. So this is, you know, again, I can't tell you uh, what a just wage is throughout all time because that's dependent on uh, the age and, and what people do and, you know, a gold standard or not, money, all these economic things. But what I can say is exactly saying right here what Scripture says. If if we know that we are making um, the people that labor for us suffer, um, God himself will intervene. And St. James says, their their cries have already cried out and God has heard them and we must act even if we ourselves are not paying people uh do we try to alter how we uh, go about in the world um to do our best to make sure those things um can be avoided as much as possible well I feel bad on this one and this is the point you're just making but I feel like I'm always on the other end of that wage earning that <laughs> 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 I I don't mean to like pass off responsibility. But no, I mean, this ties into, I don't know, I'm always nervous discussing some of these topics, but like, uh, you know, with, with immigration, it can be a double-sided coin. So there's, there's the question of like just concrete policy, just in terms of how asylum seekers find a place in our country. On the flip side, sometimes I worry that those who are very open to the process, maybe like there's, there's some issues the other direction, just in terms of like oh, it, yeah. can dri- it can drive down wages. Oh yeah, and I, and I think that that shows yeah. you the complication of what's going on and acting why we're not economics professionals. That's yeah. exactly starts the point. If you if you open all borders, you drive down wages, and there's systemic questions about that. All of that's exactly the case. The question is just like we need to keep the four last things in mind. Do we keep these sins in mind to avoid them as much as possible? Um, but we're taking way too long, so we have four yeah. more to do. So I'm going to ask St. John, St. Matthew, St. Simon the Zealot, and St. Matthias to pray for us that we deal with all of these with prudence, justice, temperance, and courage. Now, 
to to try to add, we've talked about virtue uh, throughout the show i'm i'm thinking yep. virtue of all the of all the other ones we've talked about are ones that probably people hear in other places but i will say it's important to think right that when we say that we need to be virtuous um, that doesn't mean that like it's some sort of binary. We're either courageous or cowardly, temperate or intemperate, justice oh, yeah. or injust, prudent or imprudent. Um, we can run afoul of all of these both ways. Um, courage takes not being controlled too much by fear, um, but there's a holy fear that we need to have that we that we have a fear enough to realize where we know what we're talking about and where we don't. Right? I'm afraid, like you said on air to try to act like I know the best immigration policy because it's out of my kin. And I know that there are ramifications that if we adopted this out or the other that are unforeseen. It's good yep. to have fear. It's just good not to be controlled by fear, to have courage when we deal with where we're trying to go and what we're trying to avoid. Temperance is the same way. It's not just sort of an easy avoidance of, of all the pleasures in life. Um, you can be boorish too, but a proper enjoyment. Do we order goods towards higher ones? Um, justice right is not just a matter of um, never being angry. We should be um, angry when uh, these things happen to uh, the wretched of the earth, when people uh, you know, do these things to them, but we shouldn't let our anger blind us in trying to give what each person is due. And even prudence itself... Um, you know, it, it seems like obviously the way you, you know, don't how your way you're prudent is not be imprudent. But, you know, there's a way in which also we can try to over plan things and act like if we just cook up solutions beforehand, we'll avoid all these problems. But politics takes uh, church politics, politics in the key of Jesus Christ with him as king, take all of these virtues, um, but but allow them to for us to to guide between the twin cliffs of of going to extremes of excess and deficiency, and they all involve prayer, which is why I tried to submit all of them uh, to the 12 apostles. But we're really out of time, but if there's yep. anything you want to like uh, close off with uh, real quick. No, that's the training ground for um, uh, acting well in the political sphere, so I appreciate your thoughts on that, Bo. Uh, well, folks, uh, this is the Uncommon Good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our families, in our city, our state, our nation, our world, the galaxy, the entire known reality. This is the Uncommon Good. We'll be back next week. But real quickly, again, we're running out of time. How about you tell people what they can do if they want to be a part of Iowa Catholic Radio and its programming? Um, yeah, you can start your day with us, 530. There's the rosary. We also have prayer at 930. On both occasions, Father Andrew Winchell, a really faithful priest, gives some reflections on the gospel. Yeah, and he he says uh, uh, mass every uh, Tuesday that uh, he can at noon at uh, twelve fifteen at uh, Mercy College. If you ever want to join, you can see yep. just how holy he is. See if Bud's lying about it. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, if you want to, uh, one way that you can keep up um, what I think is a, a honestly a sort of political involvement in the city of God and the city of man, um, Iowa Catholic Radio plays a role in forming. How we live together. We're on 24 7. People can listen to the words of Christ at any time. It goes through walls. Uh, there, it may be people who would have their hearts closed to hearing directly from you might be able to listen to our ministry. So if you want to be a part of our ministry, iowacatholicradio.com, 515 um, or come in. Throw quarters at us. We'll take it. Finally, uh, just one more time, uh, advertising the dinner in December coming up Friday, December 7th, 2018 at the Embassy Suites, uh, downtown Des Moines, 6.30, cocktail hour, 7.15 uh, as a dinner, 8 p.m. keynote speaker, Dr. Ray Garindi of EWTN's The Doctor is In. Uh, you can uh, RSVP online at iowacatholicradio.com slash events. 
or by calling 515-223-1150. It's been an honor, a pleasure. Thanks for listening to us ramble on. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we kind of fit them all in. Sorry, the last four were rushed. Uh, but uh, this is the Uncommon Good for Bud Marr, Bo Bonner. We'll be back next week. God bless. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcasts. Just search for The Uncommon Good.